from Him who is the author of all life, and from Him who brings true healing to all creation. Come on, mercy, grace, and peace to each and every one of you today. Amen. It's our first reading from Acts chapter 3 that serves as the focus for our meditation this morning. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, there was a man who had been crippled all of his life. He was somewhere in his early 40s, and he was born crippled. Never knew what it meant to stand and walk and talk like other people. So as other people go about their business and the daily lives of walking and talking and seeing all kinds of different things, this man spent his life viewing life from his low position on the ground. While other people were out earning a living, this man camped himself in front of a temple gate, asking for charity and relying on charity as a means to living. But one day, this man was sitting there and two other men approached. And as these two men approached, this crippled man, as he normally does, turns to them for charity. Only this day, in this moment in time, he's not going to get what he normally gets for charity. There would be no food. There would be no money. As he looks to these two men for charity, they look at him and say to this man, look at us. And then this man turns from his low position on the ground and gazes into their eyes. And this man says to the crippled man, I don't have food and I have no money to give you, but what I do have, I will give you. And he gives him a name. And then he gives him his hand and he reaches down and he lifts the man to his feet where for the first time in his entire life, his legs and his feet are working. And he's jumping for joy and he's seeing life from a new perspective and he's hopping around and praising this name that he had just been given. The end. It's not your typical fairy tale that you tell your children at bedtime with a typical happy ending, is it? But then again, this is no fairy tale. This is a true story. It's a story of a man who is lame since birth, who had an encounter with the apostles Peter and John. Or better yet, let me put it this way, as a dear friend of mine pointed out years ago to me, this is a story about God working through two of his very own servants to bring healing to somebody. And yes, it does have a happy ending as this lame man was healed. This all occurred in the passages leading up to our first reading today, where we find today Peter and John in what I call a superstar status. The crowds had seen this very man that they'd been known to be lame all of his life, suddenly clinging to Peter and John and dancing around on his two feet that had never worked before, standing and walking and praising God. And now all of a sudden these crowds are filled with awe and wonderment, almost like a deer in the headlights look, almost like their jaws hit the ground and is about to break from what had just occurred. But you know, unlike so many people in our society today who would try to take credit themselves for something miraculous happening or, or simply play the humble card and shrug it off like it was no big deal. That's not what Peter and John are all about here. Peter is all about giving credit where credit's due. He does the best he can to deflect all this praise to God. 
He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this man walk? Have you ever had that moment where you were starstruck? Where you stood wondering in awe at somebody else? Maybe, better yet, think of it this way. How many people in this world try to take claim for the fact that they were in a low situation and maybe they take the measures of saying that they picked themselves up by their own bootstraps and made it happen? That they their own success story. And how often do we look at celebrities and superstars with a sense of awe, like they are greatness embodied? You know, it happens all the time. Over the years, though, I want to say that I've noticed kind of an odd trend. Maybe not an odd trend by, by our standards, but by others. And that is that I've noticed more and more often celebrities and superstars saying thanks to God as they've accepted an award or have been in an interview. It's been something like this. I want to thank God today, and I want to thank my family and my coaches or my, my producers and my friends, right? But, you know, as they've said this, it, it, it seems on the surface, yeah, that's a good thing. I'm glad they're thanking God, but I have to wonder, which God are they actually thanking? Because in our society today and in this world today, there are many different views about who God is and what God actually does. Peter seems to sense this in the crowd today. You see, in Peter's day and age, uh, there were cultures that worshipped more than one God. There were some cultures that believed that God took the form of human beings. And of course, we know that the Jews were still expecting a Savior, uh, and they had their own ideas of what that Savior was going to look like. So today, Peter endeavors to accomplish two things. First, he wants to give credit where credit's due regarding the healing of this lame man. And in the process, he wants to point out that there is only one true God who performed this healing. So Peter specifically identifies God. He doesn't just say, well, God healed this lame man. God is very, or Peter is very specific in describing who this God is. He says, this is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. And then he points out to the crowds, whom you delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate when you would decide to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. Interesting enough here, just as this crowd had witnessed this lame man being healed today, so had Peter and John witnessed many in this crowd that day that they handed him over for death. Peter is very, very specific with this crowd, who God is and to which God gets credit for healing this lame man. And to drive home his point, Peter tells the crowd that this lame man, by faith in the name of Jesus, remember that name that had been given by faith in the name of Jesus, has been made strong and has been given perfect health. You know, here's the interesting thing about Peter's reaction to the crowd and how Peter seizes the opportunity to tell the crowd about God. Peter does it all to show the crowd that God is not dead, that the Savior that they had been expecting, 
They actually killed, but God raised back up. He's still alive. This is the Savior, people. You didn't recognize it in the first time. But this is the same one. The same one you executed who hailed this lame man. Assigning God credit and acknowledging God properly is just one part of this story today. The other part has to do with God being the author of life. You know, as Peter points out to the crowd, it's God, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob, is the one who healed this man. The lame man is evidence in this story that God is a God who's not a once-upon-a-time God, as if he was a God who once lived and is now dead, but he's a God who gives new once-upon-a-time to his creation, who writes new stories for his creation. Here is a man who spent his entire life on the ground looking up at people, and now what? Now, this once lame man experiences life in a different way from a different view, having been released from his old life of being crippled. And it started with two men who were giving new lives by Jesus. Peter certainly knows what it means to have a new life. So does John. It starts with two men who gaze down at another human being to notice that somebody is hurt and is in need of healing. And then the crippled man gazed into the eyes of Peter, probably not expecting to get what he got this day. And the crowds look upon Peter and John, probably not expecting that they're going to see God in action, healing somebody. Now it started with one human being gazing into the eyes of another and lending a hand and bringing healing in the name of God. And I want to point something out. It de- else out. It didn't happen in the church, in the temple. Where did it happen? It happened outside at the gates to the entrance of the temple. This is important because God is not just experienced right here in the four walls of the sanctuary or in any four walls. He's experienced everywhere, even out in society. He's experienced as he works through his servants, bringing healing to other people. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, testifies that God does not live in buildings. Two people taking notice of a lame man. A new once upon a time story being authored by the author of life. Two things that go hand in hand today, giving credit to the author of life and acknowledging that life, true life, new life, comes from one true God. The problem, though, is this, is that when we remove the one true God from our own lives, when we look to other gods as a source of meaning for our own lives and take the God of our fathers out of the equation, there is no new true life. All that is authored is an unhappy ending. Reading a book recently by the Chuck or the author Chuck Colson. Uh, the book is called Kingdom in Conflict, and this is probably one of the best examples that I, I've heard in a while of, about the emptiness of life, about how when human beings take God out of the equation, what life looks like. And so Chuck Colson talks about the United Nations building. I don't know if anybody here has ever seen the building, but it sits on 16 acres of the choicest real estate in New York City. It's boarded between the East River and Manhattan. 
And he goes on, he describes the building as this big, majestic building covered in, in glass. You can see the, the, the sun shining majestically off of it. And it's surrounded by nation, uh, flags of the nations of the world. And then in the middle is this prominent flag of the UN. It's in blue and white. It shows two olive branches surrounding the globe. Chuck Colson says that, that perhaps a visitor goes there one day and looks up to the grandeur of this building and thinks, wow, this is where all the powers of the world gather to hash out things of, of the world's business. And perhaps this visitor now wants to go see where these people who govern the, the, the world go to worship the ruler of the rules that they govern. So the visitor goes into the building and asks the reception desk if there is a chapel there. And the people look at him bemused and think, no, there's, we have no chapel here. If there is one, it's across the street in the building over there. So the visitor runs out and dodges New York's infamous traffic and gets himself across the street and goes in and asks that information. And they look at him bemused as well and say, no, we don't have one over here. Maybe it's in the other building. Oh, but wait, there is one. I'm sorry, it is in the other building. But when you go over there, you need to ask for the mediation room. So the visitor hops back across traffic to the other building, tells the people, and they still look at him bemused because they think that this mediation room that this visitor wants to see so desperately is nothing more than a non-essential area. So they take the visitor up the stairs and unlock the door for him, and when he enters the room, there is a space that is devoid of life and pretty much any artifact that might represent religious nature. All the visitor sees is four wicker chairs surrounded, surrounding a rock in the center of the room. There's next to no decoration. There's a few pieces of modern art and circles and squares. And there's four lights on the, on the ceiling that shine down at the wall behind it. Now, once you get beyond the shapes, all you see on the wall are these four circles of light and nothing behind the light because the four circles of light are focused on a void. And Chuck Colson says that at this moment in time, as the visitor stares into, this, into that void, the visitor sees the soul of a brave new world. Emptiness and darkness. And that, my friends, is what it's like when the God, our God, the author of life, is excluded from our lives. Not only do our lives remain dark and empty, but then so do the lives of many in this world who are hurting, who need a new once upon a time written in their own. You see, it's only when we gaze upon the author of life that we can seize opportunities to gaze into the eyes of the needy, the hurting, the poor, that we have an opportunity to seize, to share a human touch with others to bring healing, God's healing, as God works through us. God wrote anew once upon a time for his creation through the works of Christ, the author of life. And he's raised and glorified his son, this author of life that was killed by the crowds. And even as we mess up and miss those opportunities in our lives to share God with others, even when we mess up and fail to spend time gazing upon our Lord, God's still there. God's ready to write a new chapter in our lives. And he invites us back in to spend time in his word where we need to focus our eyes 
where he can talk to us and send us out into the world to bring that hope and that joy to others so that others can have a new once upon a time in their own lives. I don't know about you, but I can sit here on a daily basis and count the opportunities that I miss to share God with somebody else. So many of them that fill our lives in the grocery lines and at work and at school. How many times do we see somebody in need and just pass by and fail to look down at the need of another person and fail to allow God to work through us? God is there. God is ready to write a new chapter in history. He's ready. And he gives people second chances. Just as Peter points out to the crowds today, as Peter points out to them that they had acted in ignorance just as the rulers did. God didn't give, give up on these people who killed his son. Peter's telling them now, repent and turn back. Have your sins blotted out. Be refreshed. Be ready and may you be in the presence of God. God waiting there on the altar. God waiting in Scripture ready to spend time and refresh us, to send us back out. So let us gaze upon God and bask in his glory. Receive his nourishment in scripture and communion and receive his forgiveness. And let us seize the opportunities to tell and show those who in need who God is. And then step back and watch the author of of life write new beginnings. To God be all the glory. Amen.